Thrill Me. This show is part of the Thrill Me Podcast Network. Experience more on Facebook and YouTube. It's time for the Mr. Wonderful Show. Here's your host, Mr. Wonderful. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Mr. Wonderful Show. A lot to get to this week, but I want to remind you, if you are listening to this and you haven't done it yet, go ahead and give Throw Me Podcast Network a like on Facebook, on Instagram, and on TikTok, as well as YouTube, where on the YouTube page, you can see... Many great videos. There's the Pilk Challenge from Review It Rob and Tombstone Josh, your host of the Review It Rob show, and the Metal Groove all have new episodes out as well this week. And you can even see on YouTube as well, Zach Hilton and myself break down MCU Phase 4. We give our top, our, our favorites, we, we give our list of our favorite of the MCU films, television shows, and specials that all dropped over the last couple years. Uh, this week, we're going to get into uh, a lot of things. Uh, probably going to talk a little bit about Kirstie Alley. That was some big news that broke this week. Uh, also got Wonder Woman news, Jennifer Lawrence news, but want to start things off. I'm actually going to steal this uh, review. Rob does this. Going to do the review in the beginning. And the review this week is for a little film that came out called Violent Night. This is a holiday action film hour and 41 minutes it stars david harbour from stranger things fame as well as bringing in john leguizamo and beverly d'angelo is also in this movie as well uh it's directed by tommy Wirkola, i believe is how you say his name uh and he this is his first big directing you know he he's somebody that did uh hansel and gretel witch hunters uh dead snow uh, Dead Snow, Red vs. Dead. So those were the things that he was really known for was the Dead Snows. Uh, but this is the first big blockbuster. I don't even want to call it a blockbuster because this isn't a film that's sitting there with a $100 million budget or anything like that. But this is the first big studio film he got a chance to get his hands on. And I really enjoyed Violent Night. So if you don't know what this movie is, uh, when a team of mercenaries breaks into a wealthy family compound on Christmas Eve taking everyone inside hostage. The team isn't prepared for a surprise. Combatant Santa Claus is on the grounds, and he's about to show why this Nick is no saint. And if you thought that was a little punny, well, that is what this movie is. It is just nothing but an hour and 40 minutes of holiday puns, of good times, and what you would want from a film entitled Violent Night. It does not skimp on the violence. It is actually very gory i was very so surprised i was taken aback by some of the violence in this film even though they were promoting it as a get ready for santa claus meets john wick there were still some moments in this movie that i was like wow that's a thing that happened holy cow especially closer towards the end of the film there is one moment that when it happened i let out a huge laugh because i could not believe that they did what they did and that's what makes this film work. It, it shouldn't work because it doesn't really expand on its concept of Santa Claus is an ass kicker. But somehow they managed to take that one concept and make an entire film around it that works. I, I thought this was a wildly entertaining film. It 
doesn't have many down moments. It moves quick. Again, only an hour and 40 minutes. Uh, and, you know, while, while I say, oh, they could have taken that concept a little bit further, it didn't need to. It's, it's just such a fun, gory, good time. David Harbour is terrific as a Santa Claus that you don't want to mess with. Uh, it's a hard-edged holiday fair, so if you're looking for something for the family, this is not it. But this is a film that if you are of, uh, you know, that type of looking for something, not so much the Home Alone, although this does incorporate some Home Alone in it, but you're not looking for like an elf or Muppets Christmas Carol. You're looking for something a little more adult that's in the holiday spirit that's not going to cause controversy the way it would if you say, hey, I like Die Hard as my Christmas film. That will start a whole debate. You cannot debate this one. It is a movie that has Santa Claus doing the ass kicking instead of John McClane or anybody else or Kevin McAllister. But this is a good alternative holiday romp. I I really did enjoy this film. The set pieces are very fun. Like that moment that I mentioned towards the end of the film, I I saw the setup and I was like, Oh, okay, this is probably how they're gonna this is probably what they're gonna do. That's there, that's gonna be utilized for possibly this right here. And yeah, they utilized that set piece, but in a way that took me by surprise to where I couldn't help but laugh. And that's the other thing. I do recommend seeing this film in theaters. Uh I you know, you can wait till it comes out at home and you can watch it at home, but there's something about being in a theater with the audience for a film like this because My theater experience was quite interesting. This is a film that is sold on the idea of the violence and it's going to be over the top and all of that. My audience on opening night was very hesitant, I guess is the best way to put it. For about the first 25, 30 minutes of the film, they weren't really sure what to make of it while my fiance and I were just loving every second of this movie. We were laughing, we were cheering, we were we were instantly engulfed in this concept and, and this film, and we were very much looking forward to it, so it was interesting because we were two people that were very having just a good time with what was coming in the beginning, and then there, the audience was very unsure of how to react, but then at one point, one moment involving uh, the impaling of one of the criminals... That is when our audience finally flipped and started cheering and started laughing and started having a good time with this film. And that is why I would recommend seeing this on the big screen. It's an action film as well, so it will, it's just action films are a lot more fun to watch in theaters on a big screen. But this type of film, it brings about more joy being there with the studio audience, having fun with that audience that as well is reacting in real time with you. And you all can go on this wild ride together. But I, I do want to say that behind all of the gore splattered walls uh, and, and and craziness that goes on, there is a bit of a holiday message in this film. Does it quite land the same way, say, an elf lands their holiday message? No. But again, this is the opposite of those types of films. The fight scenes are very competent. Uh, The gore, gunfire, plentiful. And the holiday message is there. Uh, I mentioned the Home Alone thing. There is great callbacks to Home Alone in this film. 
And that's the other thing. It's not a movie that when it does a callback to something else makes you go, I wish I was watching that. No, it's a film that when it makes a callback to another Christmas film or does something that is reminiscent of another Christmas film, it's it, it works. It works in the movie. It works in the context of what's happening. So Violent Night gets two big thumbs up from me. I would give it, you know, if we're giving this thing a rating out of five, maybe a four out of five. I, I'd feel comfortable giving it a four out of five. Uh, you know, it's it's not going to win any awards. It's not doing anything crazy. It's not trying to bring about a new style of holiday classic, but it is, I could see this becoming a holiday classic. The same way that earlier this week, many of us watched Krampus because of Krampus. Um, It's the celebration of Krampus right now overseas, or the other night was the Krampus night. So many of us watched Krampus. Krampus became a holiday alternative favorite, and I can 100% see Violent Night becoming that type of holiday classic where if you want something a little more adult, a little more violent, this is the film to see and just such a fun time. Uh, Really enjoyed this film and uh, I look forward to giving it a rewatch at some point down the road. Maybe, maybe, maybe going out on Christmas Day and watching it again or making it a part of my Christmas viewing for many years to come. So that's the review of Violent Night. I definitely do recommend going out uh, and giving that film uh, a view. Uh, I really do think that you'll enjoy that movie uh, for sure. Uh, Other news that broke this week, uh, the breaking news really, uh, I didn't get to record the show yesterday, was catching up on a lot of sleep and a lot of craziness from work. Uh, and And I will say that, Maybe it was a positive that that happened because there are two big things that I'd like to talk about before uh, I get into Kirstie Alley really quickly. And the big news that broke is, as many of you might know, DC Studios is starting a new era with new bosses. One of them, James Gunn, the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, he is now one of the people in charge of DC Studios and where they're planning out this 10-year, entire 10-year, you know, DC Universe thing. Uh, Rob talked a little bit about it on the review at Rob's show where Gunn has revealed that everything's going to connect. Everything's going to matter from TV shows to video games to the movies. A lot of it's going to connect. There's going to be very little that's standalone. You know, we're still going to get our Joker 2 that doesn't have anything to do with the universe. We're still going to get our Robert Pattinson Batman films, which don't deal with the Batman that we know within the universe, but he said it's all going to come together, it's all going to make sense, and and they're working out a plan, but one of the movies that is not going to be a part of that plan moving forward is Wonder Woman 3. They are no longer moving forward with that film, and it is 100% considered dead. Not a, this is being postponed, not a, this isn't happening but could happen, it is 100% not happening. Now, it is unclear what the decision behind it was based on. Was it Wonder Woman 84 not doing exactly the box office numbers that they had hoped during the Christmas season? And really, I'd say not at the height of the pandemic, but more so towards the back end of the pandemic, at least the when the pandemic mattered. Because again, 
COVID-19 has not gone anywhere. It's still there. That stuff is still very much capable of being an issue. But we, we've at least come far enough now that we're back to normal. And when Wonder Woman 84 came out, we were not back to normal. We were, I know the theater I went to, I did not have to wear a mask. But at that time too, masks were still required in certain theaters in certain areas. I just lived in a state that, privately owned movie theaters so not the big ones it wasn't the regals the amcs the sin marks or any of those it was an independent theater so he was able to with how our governor had set things up at the time he was able to get away with yeah you don't really need the mask in here uh could have still gotten in trouble for breaking some covid rules but people that were going to the movie theater in my area were not going to call up our government in our state and say hey so there's this place here in this area that you should go find. Uh, so we're not really sure what the decision was behind canceling Wonder Woman 3, but it is worth noting that uh, Gal Gadot did randomly tweet on Tuesday that she was very grateful to play Wonder Woman and that she cannot wait to share the next chapter with everyone. So either she did not know that the sequel was being killed or that is something we can look at and say, hey, Wonder Woman with with Gal is not going anywhere. That character sticking around. She's going to still be playing the character. Uh, it is worth mentioning that she was reportedly going to make $20 million for Wonder Woman 3. Uh, but I just, I, I don't know. Like, I know what to feel about this. I'm a little bummed. I would have loved to see Wonder Woman get its trilogy and complete that, and now we're not going to get that, but I do hope that she gets to keep playing the character. Uh, of course, Man of Steel is is kind of, I guess, in jeopardy, or if not, coming back, but uh, I, I know, uh, I think the report was Man of Steel 2 is in jeopardy as well, uh, since the Wonder Woman sequel is on ice, but... We do have Henry Cavill at least back as Superman in the DC universe, thanks to Black Adam, which, despite what people online are trying to say, Black Adam was a very successful film for not just The Rock, but for Warner Brothers and for the DC universe as well. So people online can try and say, oh, it's it's a failure, which is the typical Twitter discourse, right? DC sucks, Marvel rules. But if you go watch what Zach and I did on the YouTube, maybe maybe Marvel really is, hasn't had such a strong game, uh, at least in Phase 4, the way that you might think they 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 dominate. But we we do have Henry back, so I'm hoping that 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 Gal gets to stick around and uh, gets to at least play Wonder Woman again in something else. Uh, we need to see this Flash film. I you know I know it got bumped up a week as well. I've got my things with that. Uh, you know, it's it's it is what it is. The film's coming with Ezra, but I feel like that's a film that that is going to be the one that that really is. I mean, like they said prior, it's going to be the big film that really, I think, answers the questions of where things are going to go uh, with James Gunn and 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 others now in charge of DC Studios. But Wonder Woman three. Not happening, so if you were excited for that like I was, I am sorry to tell you that it is not going to be happening. In other news, 
got to talk about Jennifer Lawrence for a second because she made a statement to Variety that I feel she is going to be backpedaling on pretty quickly or at least having to explain her her comments. Now, this isn't offensive like 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 Kanye West or anything like that, but what she said is still kind of dumb. So in talking with Variety, she said, quote, I remember doing Hunger Games. Nobody ever put a woman in the lead of an action movie because it wouldn't work. Because we were told girls and boys can both identify with a male lead, but boys cannot identify with a female lead. Many of us are looking at that comment and saying, is Jennifer Lawrence trying to claim that she is the first female action movie star? Because if that is what she is saying, oh, why, how wrong she is by that. Uh, Because the examples go on and on. I mean, you have Avatar coming out next week. Sigourney Weaver is back in ways for Avatar 2, even though, um, while I still have not seen the first Avatar, I know what happens to her character in that film. But Sigourney Weaver, in and of herself, was an action star in the Alien movies. She's, you know what, Alien came out in 79? So Sigourney Weaver was your lead and your action star in that. Not to mention Linda Hamilton in the Terminator franchise. Angelina Jolie was Laura Croft. Mila Jokovic was in the Resident Evil movies. And while those probably should have stopped at three, you know, that franchise went on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And I've seen every Resident Evil movie. And that's why I can happily say that franchise probably should have just stopped at three. Uh, Uma Thurman was Kill Bill. Michelle Yeoh. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, Pam Greer was Foxy Brown in the 70s. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So I feel that Jennifer Lawrence is at some point going to have to come out, if she if she hasn't already by the time you hear this uh, episode, and she's going to have to clarify some of this point because there have been so many female lead ass kickers, so many females in the action movie roles that did so good it spawned franchises again angelina jolie twice was laura croft Uh, the resident evil films had like nine movies terminator linda hamilton was there you know i i could see if you went well she wasn't really a, a hero in the first one or an action movie star in the first one i could take that argument but come terminator 2 which still came out a decade prior to any of those hunger game movies almost two decades prior to the hunger games she was absolutely the ass-kicking female lead of that film. It was, she was right up there, more of an action star than Terminator, or than the Terminator himself, Arnold, in that film. Sigourney Weaver in Alien is the reason we have Aliens and Alien Three, and then we brought her back, cloned for Alien Four, and why we've all been saying, well, why don't we just hard reboot and? And go from something, you know, do the requel thing, like either the sequel to just Alien or do Alien and Aliens count in the same timeline and do a different version of Alien 3. You know, there's a reason for that. Now, where I think Jennifer's PR team needs to come along and say is, hey, you need to say teenage wise, because her comment, if you look at it, because we told girls and boys can both identify with a male lead, but boys cannot identify with a female lead. If you want to say, as a young adult action star, yes, because Sigourney Weaver was a woman. Linda Hamilton, a woman. Angelina Jolie, a woman. Myla, Uma, 
Michelle, Pam Greer, all women at this point. So if you wanted to say that, yes, I represented what was supposed to be a teenage action star, a young hero, then, yeah, because when you start thinking about that, you don't, you know, those franchises, they don't really exist. It was the Hunger Games that appealed to that. Maybe the Divergent films and stuff like that when we started adapting those books. But to... If she's trying to claim that she is the first action movie female lead, wow, does Jennifer Lawrence have a lot of apologizing to do to not just all the names that I've been mentioning, but the many, 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 many more. Uh, So, yeah, Jennifer Lawrence, be careful, girl. Be careful what you say. Uh, Finally, before we wrap this up, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about Kirstie Alley passing away. Uh, Now, putting... Her religion aside, putting her politics aside, I, I don't, I'm not somebody to really, I could get political, I could do that stuff. I absolutely watch, read, know things. I choose not to go into that side of life because it's, it's you're never going to make people happy. You're always going to piss somebody off and then it's going to be screaming matches and all of that. So putting all of that aside with Kirstie. As an actress, as somebody who dedicated their life to entertaining others, the news of her passing away uh, due to a short battle with cancer, and we've come to learn that the cancer uh, was colon cancer. She was 71 years old when she passed. They recently discovered the the cancer. Uh, she fought with strength, according to her uh, her family uh, and her kids, and. They said that they uh, that she left them with uh, a certainty of her never-ending joy of living and whatever adventures lied ahead. But as somebody that grew up uh, late '80s, born in the '80s, uh, Cheers ran my entire life. Uh, at least her her years on Cheers. She joined the cast in 1987 when I was born. Uh, at a young age, Cheers was a fixture on the television. It was something that was NBC. We were tuning in as a family, my mom, my dad, uh, my brother, and then, of course, I was there. Cheers was the sitcom to watch. When Cheers ended, it was still in syndication, uh, still in reruns. Over the years, I have watched Cheers from what it first aired in 1983, episode one, to its last episode in 1993, so many times over. This is this is I, I do not know the count of how many times I have watched every season and every episode of Cheers in my lifetime. I, I have lost count of how many times I have done it. It is hands down, in my opinion, the best sitcom, my favorite sitcom, and just one of the funniest shows around. Uh, and just a simple show about people at a bar hanging out at a bar. So Rebecca Howe was a huge fixture of my life from when I first came in to this world. Some of the first early memories I have of, you know, the family time of this is a TV show. I can still recall when the show ended that last night watching that show and the show ends the same way it began. Sorry, we're closed. Um, I love that show. It It is so good. And Rebecca Howe to me is better than... Diane Chambers, uh, and and the Shelley uh, Shelley Long years. Uh, I just 
there's something about that character. There's something about her presence, the energy she brings, the way that she just easily slid into a show where everybody was like, is this the end? You know, you lost one of your original characters, the love interest of Sam. Is this going to work? And Kirsty comes right in as Rebecca Howe and plants her stamp on that show and I think takes a show that is great and brings it to a new level of greatness. And uh, and it wasn't just Cheers. I mean, she made her film debut in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and that character, I think, you know, as Star Trek fans, you might disagree with me or maybe you're going to nod in agreement. I think that character in The Wrath of Khan had actually helped us with the idea of Vulcans and, and, and expanding on them because... It was partly due to the fact that we had already had Leonard Nimoy as as our Vulcan for so many years that we understood the way that they acted, but she was able to bring in to a film franchise that at this point kind of plays, it, Star Trek Two kind of plays like, like Next Generation in a way. You have the original characters there, and, and the whole Star Trek Two setup is the idea that they are all older. I mean, you have Kirk reading with his glasses, uh, and and all of that. So you have this older crew there, and Spock is so far removed from the television show Curiosity about how humans act, and Kirsty gets to play that, but I don't understand how humans can cheat this exam and cheat this and, and all of that, and I don't get human emotion. She, and not having to do the back dive into that, she was able to create a character that I think really opens the door to the Vulcan characters. It is the most in-depth Vulcan character that we have gotten in Star Trek since Spock. Sure, we've seen some some characters like in a mock time and things like that. We've been introduced to them. But now that all the Vulcan lore is out of the way, all of that, we know who this character is and we get their emotions and she brings such a stoic presence again. It is her film debut to Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, that it works so good and it's such a, a fabulous character in that film and everything, all the themes going on in that movie, it works so well. Uh, Summer School, a film that, if you listen to Haunter's podcast, Zach and I have mentioned Summer School a lot. Uh, it's, it's, it's a movie that, uh, you know, by no stretch of the imagination is Summer School some like, fabulous film or anything like that. Like Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan is a really good film. Summer School is a goofy comedy, but Kirstie playing the love interest in that and and playing one of the other teachers. She just has such a good comedic timing and and that's a fun film. And if you've never seen it, it it's a Kirstie Alley performance. I recommend you going and checking out. Uh, she even did a little, uh, a little horror as well, Village of the Damned. She was in that in the 90s. Uh, the Look Who's Talking Flicks, where she co-starred with John Travolta. Like, uh, there were three of those. There, you know, there's a little trilogy of those films as well. So, uh, a huge part of my childhood. Uh, I didn't even get into the fact that she was on another NBC sitcom, Veronica's Closet, which ran for three seasons from 97 to 2000. That was a show that my mom watched when it first debuted and, and came on and was something that we were watching because... Hey, here's Kirstie Alley. Here's here's Rebecca Howe doing her thing and, and doing a new show. And uh, my mom really enjoyed that show. My dad enjoyed that show. At that point, 
uh, the 97 to 2000s. I, I was 10, starting to get to about 13. So uh, all the cuteness of Kirstie Alley was catching up to me there as well. Uh, so, you know, it's it's sad. It's, it's you know, again, everything put aside, the Scientology, the, the politics, uh, all of that stuff. Actress-wise, she was someone that was featured a lot throughout my childhood. Uh, and and really, it's just uh, hit hard. It hit hard the other morning to wake up and, and see that news. And 71, uh, cancer, I, I've been family-wise, friends-wise, I, I think we can all, everybody, if you're listening to this, you, you probably are nodding, will nod along to this as well. We've all been impacted in some way by cancer's touch. So to also see that that's how she lost her battle and uh, left us. Uh, another uh, it makes me want to stick the middle finger up again and say F cancer again because just screw that disease. But uh, also we we lost uh, we lost part of our childhood with Kirstie Alley. So uh, I, I'm, I, I, I started rewatching some of the Cheers episodes uh, after she passed away. And man, they are just... Seriously, again, uh, Cheers is just such a great show, uh, and, and actually, I do have, <laughs> in honor of uh, of that, I actually have a classic scene. Uh, this is from the final season, uh, and this is when Diane and Rebecca finally met on Cheers, uh, and they were having dinner uh, with their dates. Rebecca was with Sam, uh, and she's lying about what she does for a living. So, Rebecca, tell us about yourself. Sam never mentioned what you do. I am a corporate attorney <laughs> with the firm Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. That sounds familiar. Yeah, they're a pretty famous group. Listen. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, man, uh, childhood, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, Life is precious. That's that's how we'll uh, wrap up the show this week. So thank you all for hanging out. Uh, appreciate it. Let me know what you thought of Island Night as well. Uh, I know it seems like forever ago we talked about that movie at the start of the show, but tell me what you thought of the film. If you've seen it, you can hit me me up on Twitter, wonderful underscore radio. I'm the verified check mark that is not verified through Twitter Blue, that is verified through media. Uh, but uh, if you are a Barstool sports fan, you're stupid enough to not double click to double check to make sure that when you're trying to dunk on somebody on social media, you're actually succeeding at it. Uh, so yeah, um, that's a whole other story for another day. Maybe we'll get a little sports next week and I can tell you how I ran afoul of the Barstool sports fans. Uh, the 12 year olds that the 12 year old mindset sports fan that loves Barstool. So maybe we'll talk about that next week. Uh, until then, peace and love everybody. <laughs>